0: Y'all ready to get into the Word today? So good news is this, uh, we only have about four months left of the series that never ends. And uh, if you're new with us, we've been in a series this whole year in the books of 1 and 2 Peter. We haven't even got to 2 Peter yet. uh, But today, come on somebody, we round out 1 Peter and we're done with 1 Peter. And then we start. Our descent into 2nd Peter and this is gonna take us all the way. 2nd Peter is gonna take us August, September, October, November and then no Peter. We're kicking Peter out of the room for Christmas and so uh, it's gonna be great and then we'll start that I'll start off the new year. I know it's wild that we're talking about that but if you're new I know context is really important um, to understand where we've been as a church and where we are going. So um, let's settle into the last few verses that we're gonna be reading in 1st Peter and it's in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses one through 11. This is gonna be our text for today, and it says this. It says, therefore, since Christ, everybody shout therefore. therefore. Everybody shout therefore. therefore. Um, if you're new to the Bible, therefore is therefore a reason. And the reason that therefore is therefore is because Peter is connecting two thoughts together. He's letting us know that what we're about to dive into is connected to what he's previously said. So usually it's an action plan. Usually it's, hey, I wanna tell you about this big idea, this big concept, and then I wanna tell you, therefore, this is what this means for for your life. And that's what we are entering into. He says, so therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, so it's a reminder of what the therefore is there for, arm yourselves also with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Come on, somebody. We gotta talk back culture, so amens are great around here, all right? Preach to the preacher, okay? Verse three, it says this, for there, I love this. That, that Peter gets really personal, he gets up in our face. He says, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. There's some stuff right there. Right, verse four. Now here's what I, I want us to hear. This is really important. It says, they're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living. Come on, anybody in here have started a relationship with Jesus and started pursuing Jesus and then some people were a little bit surprised that you no longer want to go to the club. Yeah. <laughs> so they're surprised. That you, wanted, you no longer want to participate in this. And then it goes on to say, and they slander you. They get frustrated by it. And then Peter says, they'll give account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Verse seven, the end of all things is near. Uh, this will be something that we're gonna talk about and in, in, uh, I've heard a lot of commentary from people and have been asked a lot of questions about the end. And there's always quotes around the end. Um, so I thought it'd be really fun just to talk about the end in October. So, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Peter says that, that the end of all things is near. He's, hark- uh, he's harking to apocalyptic literature and the idea of the end times. And uh, we're going to bring some clarity to some of that. He says, So therefore, be alert, sober minded for prayer above all, now here's the verse that I want us to zoom in on today because this is what we're gonna be focusing on, above all maintain constant love for one another since love, everybody shout love, everybody shout love, since love covers a multitude of sins and we love that verse it's so romantic it has nothing to do with romance but it's very romantic in our modern world right now we're gonna deal with that in a minute it says, be hospitable, uh, hospitable to, uh, to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Come on, somebody shout. Amen. Amen. Today, as we continue on our series, You Are Here, I wanna to speak to you from this subject right here, paper mache love paper mache love, as we look at the Bible, says about love as defined by God. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We give you this moment. And uh, we submit ourselves to you right now. We submit our minds to you. We submit our hearts to you. Um, We didn't come here today to have our ears tickled. We didn't come here today to hear stuff that we already know. We didn't come here today to be unchallenged. And so God, we came in here today to potentially hear and experience something that is missing from our life. And that is your presence and that is your word. And so God, today I ask in this moment that your presence first and foremost would move throughout this room right now in this moment, illuminating and highlight all the th- high- highlighting all the things that I don't even say. But God, secondarily, I pray that at the preaching and teaching of your word, that truth would settle into our lives, that it would take root and it would bear fruit and it would set us free. And so, God, I thank you for this amazing church. Every single one of us collectively coming together today, different from different backgrounds and different spaces and different places, collectively finding unity underneath the counsel and the guidance of your word. Speak to us now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. I broke my ankle in sixth grade. Um, show of hands, broken bones people in the room today. How many of you have broken something? Man, you guys are more adventurous than the first service. That was the bubble wrap service, less breaks. Um, show of hands, big and tall, I want to, all my broken people. Okay, <laughs> everybody rose their hand, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so I, bro- I broke my ankle in sixth grade playing soccer with um, the students and a gym teacher who couldn't pass in college, so he just beat all the sixth graders up for soccer. Have you had one of those gym teachers before? They get involved, they get engaged, everything is just way intense. And so uh, that, was my, that was my gym teacher. So uh, what happened, and I've told this story before, is that uh, we were playing, long story short, we kicked the ball at the same time. He snapped my ankle and it stuck because we kicked the ball at the same time and he was stronger than a sixth grader. And so I went to the hospital like this, foot stuck, ankle. So when I got in, they had to re-break my ankle, set it right so it was appropriate, and then, and then cast it up. And so it was in the hospital room that I remember having a conversation with the doctor while he's like talking about all this after the initial pain of the re-break and the freak out, right? And so I'm a little sedated and a little loopy and, and, and having this conversation with the doctor and he's telling me about the cast, and he's telling me how it's gonna harden, and then he tells me I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna get to pick my color and people are gonna sign it, shout out orange. And so he told me that after a while, it's probably gonna stink, and told me after a while, like, it's gonna start to fall apart a little bit, but people are gonna be, like, he was telling me all the things that a sixth grader wants to hear about a cast in order to assimilate that moment in my life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Doctors are good at that stuff. And so then I remember saying to him, because I'm in sixth grade, and I remember covering balloons with papier-mâché. Yeah. And so I said to him, I said, Oh, so a, a cast is like papier-mâché. To which the doctor replies to me, No. <laughs> doctors are literalists. <laughs> no. One covers something to try to make a... Re- talk, he's talking about papier-mâché, he says, No. One covers something to try and make a replica. The other holds something in place so that it has the opportunity to heal. And then he says to me, there is a big difference between paper mache and a cast." For those of you who have broken something, are you excited that the doctor did not wrap it in paper mache? <laughs> Come on, how many can I get an amen in charge today? We're glad. We're glad we didn't walk out of there in paper, in paper mache, that we walked out of there with something that was, was surrounding it and, and holding it in place so that it couldn't be bumped up against, so that it was covered in a way that was healing, not covered in a way to conceal it. You see the difference? The doctor didn't put a cast on my my ankle and say, hey, I'm covering this so no one sees it. We don't want anybody to freak out about the break. Uh Uh-uh. He covered it and he wrapped it up in the appropriate material in order for my ankle to receive the healing that it needed to receive. There's a big difference between paper mache and a cast, and this is the truth that I want us to hear today, that there's a big difference between the love of God and the love that we are called to as Christians and love the way that the world is prescribing it and defining it right now. My concern, and some of us need to write this down today, my concern as your pastor is that many of us are playing with paper mache love. We are using a replica of love to cover things but not true love in order to see things healed. So let's explore this idea. Just a little more. The Greek word that's employed here for cover is of great importance to us. And while I'm not fluent in Greek, it's the word kalypso. And it means this to envelop, wrap around as bark, skin, shell, or plaster to cover over in order that healing would take place. This wrapping is for the benefit of healing. It's not concealing in order to keep something in the dark or make sure that it's not seen, but rather it's wrapping that takes place in order to bring care, healing, and correction. It's the difference between paper mache and a cast, y'all with me? And this is important for us to understand. You see, when we try to give and receive love based on a faulty and inaccurate understanding of love, then we miss the power of love's actual application in our lives and in the lives of others. Here's the truth. You cannot give what you do not understand, and you cannot receive what you do not desire. In other words, if we don't understand love from a biblical framework, then we can't give love appropriately. But If we don't understand love from a biblical framework we also can't receive it appropriately. Some of us are trying to receive love in a way that doesn't look like love and so we reject it. And others of us are trying to give love that's not really love biblically defined and so it doesn't help anybody. Y'all with me? Because I can't repeat that again. (laughs) It's paper mache love. Now here's what we need to understand. Love, every shall love was the very thing that sent Christ to the cross. So love cannot be used to justify the very thing that Jesus conquered and died for. And we're seeing it. Many of us are trying to give what we do not understand or we are unable to receive it because it's not what we are actually desiring. And isn't that what we try to do with love? We try to apply it to our lives and the lives of others in a way that's incongruent with the very nature and purpose of it. There's another moment in Scripture that we see this word used, the Greek word that I just spoke about earlier, and it's found in James chapter 5, verse 20. Now, I need to say this as a precursor. If you want a wild ride and you need to put on a helmet for this this letter in the Bible, it's James. James is like, just full on, he goes for it, he speaks some pretty hard stuff, but I love this. And this is what he writes in chapter five, verse 19 through to 20. He says, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth, every shout truth, and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, quick qualifier, when James is saying, he's not saying that the person who that he's not talking about their soul, he's talking about the one who is turning from sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. So it's in these two scriptures that we find that love has a very different makeup than the love that we're hearing about in the world right now. Come on, anybody with me right now? It's a very different makeup. It's a very different application. But aren't we seeing that on social media right now? We're called love. Just love. Seen it on Twitter, Instagram. Love, love. All you need is love, right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Like all the, all the love. But it's right here in these scriptures that we're introduced to a very important relationship in scripture, and that's the relationship between love and truth. You see, the truth is that love and truth relate to each other. They're not mutually exclusive, but rather work in conjunction with each other, producing health, healing, wholeness, freedom, growth, life, and faith. How many of you sound like that's a good plan for our lives right there? How many of you want health and healing and wholeness and freedom and growth and life and faith? How many of you want that in your life? I want that in my life. I want that for your life. The relationship between love and truth is an important study for us to embark upon because this understanding enables us to love right, which is something that I know we all wanna do. We wanna love right. And in this series thus far, we've spoken a lot about truth. We worked really hard to pronounce and define truth, but it's this love aspect that many of us are wrestling with today as we ask the question, what is, what is love? The great theologian Tina Turner said, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> and I think it's a valid question, Pastor Howie, and we need to discover it today. <laughs> I have been super excited for this moment in the series because this is one of the things that's tripping me up right now, when people just kind of carte blanche, we just gotta love people. Have you ever, like, have you heard that before and then thought to yourself, what is love? What are you talking about? What is that that you're saying that we must do? And so we're gonna try to define, is anybody with me today? Like, we gotta define that and work with that so that we understand what it is that we're to do. So, five things I wanna work through today. And we're gonna get, need your help today, come on, everybody shout number one. Here's the first thing that we need to understand. First truth about love and truth is this. The motive of truth is love. So truth has a motive and that motive is love. How many of you agree with me that things, people especially, they have motives? We do things out of motive. Well, what we're trying to do is put kind of a a human nature to this aspect for understanding purposes and help us understand that the motive of truth is love. First Timothy chapter one, verses three through 11 says this. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now this is what he says to Timothy. He says, now the goal of our instruction is love. The motive of our truth is love. The reason we're saying hard things to you is because we love you. The reason that this stuff is gonna come off a little bit difficult to assimilate is because it goes against everything in the world. But I need you to know that the motive of our truth is love. As a pastor, can I tell you the things that we talk about out of here in this place is because I love you more than you know and so I give you truth yeah. come on is anybody in church today and so we got to learn to be able to similar and that's what that's what Paul's saying this is the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith and these says some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion they wanna be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. There's a big deal right here, because the motive of love, the motive of truth is love. Paul's admonishment to Timothy was that the motive behind his and subsequently Timothy's instruction was to love. And this is so important for us because we live in a day and an age where any degree of assessed and or professed truth is not seen as love, but rather it's seen as damaging, judgmental, harsh, or flat-out hateful. How many of you have heard that before? The minute we we, we try to promote truth, it's wrong, judgmental, harsh. Or maybe this one, this is how we spiritualize our lack of love, as we call real love, legalistic. But that's not the truth. According to the Bible, truth is the product of love and to hold back truth is unloving. Come on, parents in the room. And one of the greatest reasons that we are facing what we're facing in our culture today is because the absence of absolute truth. Have you seen people lose their minds when you try to, no, this is, I actually, absolute. (laughs) Like people go nuts, (laughs) right? That's crazy. Okay, I'm gonna use a very, will you just um, afford me the opportunity to give a very crass analogy on this? My wife and I have been married for 17 years. 18 in in January. And uh, so much fun. I love her more than I've ever loved her before. And uh, she's fine. So, um, (laughs) but this is how I know that my wife loves me. I was blessed with a specific type of DNA that causes my teeth not to go the way I want my teeth to go. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I got I got bad teeth, which puts me in with a doctor that I never want to be at, because dentists are evil. Shout out if you're a dentist in here. And so, I love you by the way. I had multiples in the first service. They're like, oh, we love you. I'm like, you be quiet. Um. So, and so, um, I get like I'm a freak about my teeth. I, I floss multiple times a day. I brush multiple times. I like I take care of my I take care of my teeth. And one of the things that my wife does for me is she helps me know when a cavity's coming on because I get them because why not? And this is, this, is how she not, like, this is how she helps me out as my wife, is she will tell me, because she loves me, she'll go, hey, it's probably time to go see the dentist. I think you might have a cavity. And I'm like, okay. She's like, because your breast stinks. <laughs> Can we talk, come on, marriages. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? She's like, it's a bit off. It's it's kicking right now. Like, need to fix that action. And so I'm thankful. While it's hard to hear because I'm like, oh, ah, yeah, my mouth. And so, but it's it's hard to hear. But because she loves me, and then she helped me with the rest of this illustration after the first service. So I need to give honor where honor is due. She's helping me not just with the with the smell of my breath, but she's also concerned that if she doesn't tell me the truth, then a cavity is going to stay, which is going to lead to infection. And the problem is that many of us don't apply love appropriately because we don't want to offend, we don't want to like, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, but the problem is is that when we don't use love to give truth, we leave the cavity there, and the cavity will lead to an infection, and we don't want that to happen. Come on, can we thank Erica for the rest of that analogy? (laughs) So, So I'm glad that she loves me to hold back truth is is unloving. This is what theologian John Owen said. He said, without absolutes revealed from without by God himself, we are left rudderless in a sea of conflicting ideas about matters, justice, right and wrong, issued from a a multitude of self-opinionated thinkers. And how many of you know we're clamoring with big issues right now in our world? right and wrong, justice, and how we actually love people. And without the understanding of love from without, we are left, we're left to self-opinionated ideologies about these things. Rather than having the one who has paid it all, the one who has authored it, define for us what love actually is. And then maybe if we can get on board with that, we might change the world. So holding back truth is unloving. So Paul says to Timothy, declare truth. Do not let it be quieted, don't let it be stamped out, intimidated or pushed to the sides. But remember, if truth is to be declared, it must be done because of love. Because the motive of truth is, it must be love. It can't be because you want a certain policy or because you're mad, because you want your way. Truth according to God's word must be motivated by love. Are you all with me this morning? number two. Everybody shout number two. There's a second thing we got to understand that the desire of love, this is love's desire, the desire of love is truth. Love loves truth. Love loves truth. Now, I want to take us to one of the most significant discourses on love. Paul the Apostle brings us some important words about this. Many of us have heard it before, we've seen it in a Hallmark card, or we've heard it at 95 weddings. (laughs) Which technically I struggle when I say the scripture at weddings because I'm like, ah, we're halfway there. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses one to eight, this is Paul, he says this, if I speak with human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And this is when we read the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, we're like, oh, we're in it. We love this part. Like all of it doesn't even matter if you called, like if you have uh, faith or if you go to church, like we just love this because it's so romantic and it's so beautiful. And then he continues on and he says, love is patient. We're like, yes. Love is kind, see, I told you. Love does not envy, yeah. Have you ever noticed that it has a tendency to be people who don't love God pushing this love scripture on us? So I just wanna say that. It's not boastful, oh yeah, perfect, I love it. It's not arrogant, yeah. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking, the church gets quiet because you're waiting for my point to drop in a second. I get it. It's not irritable, yeah. See, it's always smiling. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Told ya. You don't need to tell me about my life. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Except for this next part. This next part's hard. It said, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. I love the action word that goes along with what love does when it finds truth. It rejoices. Yeah! It it gets excited, why? Because love loves truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So in this discourse, Paul clarifies what love is and what love does. There's an is about love and there's a does about love. There's a character and a nature of love and there's a doing aspect to love. Love is this, it's patience, it's kind, it's all of these things, but love does not, it rejoices in truth. Are you all with me today? So listen to how Augustine worked through this idea. Great theologian, he said this, disturbers are to be rebuked the low-spirited to be encouraged, the infirm to be supported, objectors confuted, the treacherous guarded against, the unskilled taught, the lazy aroused, the contentious restrained, the haughty repressed, the poor relieved, the oppressed liberated, the good approved, the evil born with. And then he says this, all are to be loved. And I love that because Many of us have internal confliction about this idea. We think that we can't rebuke and love at the same time. They're mutually we can't we can't do this. So we can do only certain things in the name of love, and then everything else is. Y'all see what I'm talking about here. So we've got to understand what love is. See, to Augustine, love was not the removal of truth, but the truth was the desire of love love seeks out truth it's attracted to truth it's fascinated by truth love looks for truth because in truth there is light and clarity honesty and exposure vulnerability and transparency and when we reject truth we're rejecting all of those things you ever said that before i just want vulnerability i just want transparency and then someone tries to tell you the truth and you're like but not that well, then you're not really being vulnerable or transparent. We're just having a shallow talk about nothing. Is the church with me today? (laughs) Where there is lack of truth, then we have lack of love. Where there is lack of truth, then we have lack of love. Two pieces of scripture I want to take you to today that are really significant. Honestly, the reason I'm tackling these pieces of scriptures now is because these two pieces of scriptures are usually worked in a different way to shame Christians especially with this mix of love and truth. The first one is found in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well. And just so a heads up, we called this church the well because of this story right here. So Jesus goes on a little walk with his disciples. He ends up in a place talking to a woman that he shouldn't because she's a Samaritan. His disciples take off to go look for food and Jesus and this woman enter into a discourse about all kinds of things. This would be the piece of scripture where Jesus would say that he's looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. And so in this dialogue with this woman who he shouldn't be talking to because she's a Samaritan woman, and this Samaritan woman tells him that she shouldn't be talking to him, she in this moment starts having a discourse with him about living water. And it's a beautiful segment of scripture. And so Jesus begins to tell her about this and 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 attract her to this. And she says, where do I get this living water? Where do I get this thing that you're talking about? Because this well that we're sitting at, you don't have a bucket and it's deep. So I don't know where you're gonna get this water from. And then she says, give me some of that water. And this is what Jesus says to her in verse, 16 let's start in 15 sir the woman said to him give me this water so that i won't get thirsty and come here to draw water jesus in verse 16 after all of that dialogue listen to what he says go call your husband he told her and come back here does anybody else find it odd that jesus would shift all of a sudden to that to go call your husband and then she says "I, i don't i don't have a husband she answered And he says, you have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said. You've had five husbands. How many of you are like, woman, just walk away now, like, (laughs) like, jump out. And notice, like, she she didn't say, well, like, you've really, you've stepped into my safe space, and... For you have had five husbands, and then he doubles down, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have said is true. And this is the piece of scripture that everybody uses to say how loving Jesus was. Because all we read in this scripture is Jesus' love, not the application of truth. Now she would eventually, because of this interaction with Jesus, run to her town and start telling people about the man that told her all the things that she had never heard and all the things that she had done. But here's what I want us to hear today. The woman's heart was open and receptive because of Jesus's love. And that love caused her to desire the water that he was telling her about. And the water that she would receive from him was the water of truth. Anybody in church today? See, Jesus ministers to this woman with love but it wasn't void of truth, but rather assessed and dealt with in truth. Here's the next piece of scripture, John chapter eight, just a little while longer, he's gonna deal with another woman. This particular woman was, at least the way the Bible tells us and describes it, and many scholars and theologians would agree, a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery, meaning that the Pharisees were looking for her, knew the house that she was at, busted in, pulled her out in this act, and then tossed her in the street for everybody to see and point at. Not because they cared about the woman, but because they wanted to trap Jesus. And it's in this discourse that Jesus has a little dialogue with the Pharisees and he's like, yo guys, for those of you who don't have any sin, you're perfect. I want you to throw the first stone. So they all drop stones, boom, 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 boom. And they all kind of take off because, well, and they can't throw the first stone. And so Jesus says to the woman who's lying there, bathed in shame, probably half naked, dirt everywhere, He says, where where are those who condemn you? And they're not not here. And then he says to her, neither do I condemn you. And then there's a period, and most of us stop at the period and we continue past that piece of scripture. Because once again, we look at the scripture through the lens of love, not truth. But there's this sneaky little sentence on the backside of everything. It's not big. Jesus doesn't assault her with truth, but watch what he says, after the whole discourse, after he like, loves her with great passion, insanely loves and points her to grace and points her to all these things. Watch what he says. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Yeah. Wow. Good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. <laughs> that carries so much weight. Why? Because love rejoices in truth. It looks for it. It wants to find it. The desire of love is truth. In such a way that, for those of you who are in here, do you remember when we first started dating our, like for me, my spouse, maybe you're dating right now and you're in the Twitter-pated. remember? Thumper, like just did y'all watch Bambi <laughs> so the younger generation like what's Bambi I'm like don't go watch it because it's a sadistic cartoon of a death of a baby deer and so um, um, so remember that first moment I remember when we were dating and I was chasing her and I was infatuated with her remember I can only think about her and I still do by the way just throwing that out there Right, couldn't wait to be on the phone with her, be near her, we'd go to this really like shady dive called Sherry's and we'd have an ice cream sundae and half real fries. (laughs) Man, it was so much fun to be in, in in those moments. I think that's the way love looks for truth desires it, wants to find it, where is it? I wanna be around it. I rejoice and it, I long to have it. And when we keep truth out of the equation, we're keeping people from love. They are attracted to each other. And then when I bring them together, all oh, one rejoices and one is solidified. Number three, everybody shout number three. Now this is the part, before I get to the point, don't put it up, don't put it up yet, guys. I wanna surprise everybody. Um, <laughs> A little context before the next point. All throughout this message, probably, we've already started thinking, we're like, okay, you're convincing me about this whole thing, but the problem that many of us have is that truth usually is given by a jerk. Hmm. Come on, Can we be honest in church today? Come on, show of hands, how many of you have been on the receiving end of truth by a jerk, right? And that's how some of us are like, okay, this is fine, I can get down with this, I can can handle this, and and we struggle with the way that it's said, the way that it's done. Well, here's my third point. Number three, love bridles the tongue of truth. Love bridles the tongue of truth. Ephesians chapter four, verses 15 to 16, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow. Speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in what? Speaking the truth in what? you cannot pull with all due respect. <laughs> if somebody says, can I tell you the truth with all due respect, turn and walk away. Because it means that they don't love you, they're just creating a qualifier to be a jerk. <laughs> now, if Erica says, hey, Jason, husband, oh dearest that I love so much, your breath stinks. You need to go fix that. I'm like, good, thank you for loving me. Right. If somebody else says your breath stinks, we're putting gloves on, let's go right now. <laughs> Why? Because one has proved their love and the other hasn't, y'all with me? So he says, speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part proverbs eighteen twenty one says this death and life are in the power death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit i believe that one of the greatest reasons that truth is rejected is because the tongue of truth is not bridled by a bit of love So, someone needs to write this down as notes today. Okay, y'all ready? It's the most theological statement that you'll ever hear. Put a bit in it. Come on, write it down, I wanna see you writing it down. Put it on your phone, come on. Put a bit in it. We're not saying be quiet, we're just saying put a bit in it. A bit of love. And it controls it. We have to work at this. If you're, if you're Enneagram people, I know people really freak out, positive or negative on Enneagram, but we've taken the test. Eric and I are both eights on the Enneagram, so we're a little strong. <laughs> a couple things happen. If you ever play Settlers of Catan with us, you will leave asking whether we're gonna divorce or not. And so... <laughs> any game, really, just any part of life. Um, we're, we're, we're strong with each other, but one thing that we've had to learn in our marriage is we have to put a bit of love in it. We have to, we have to restrain it a bit, we have to control. It. We don't just yeah. truth, 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 truth right? <laughs> That's how some of it goes and some of your guys, just. I just need to tell you some truth, 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 truth. truth. And everybody's like, ah! Oh. <laughs> put a bit of love in it. Jesus. All right, I need to have a conversation with you. Let, let, let's talk about this thing. Y'all see what I'm talking about? The smoothness of that, the graciousness of it, the, the love of it, then enables somebody to receive truth. Another great theologian by the name of Mary Poppins, she said, <laughs> just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Come on, anybody, thank for Mary Poppins? Let's go. Like, man. <laughs> That was a much better movie than Bambi, and so <laughs> truth that is not bridled by love is what the Bible calls a noisy symbol. Number four, bit of shout. Number four. four, come on, everybody, shout. Number four. four. Truth shows us the contours of love. Now, First John chapter five, verses one through four, what we're about to read is the application of this. You're gonna see that love has many contours to it. So listen to what Jesus, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father, excuse me, what John writes to us, that have been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the Son born of Him. This is how we know that, every, that we love God's children. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. Good. That's actually how you love, like, by obeying God and loving His commands. That's how we love others. That's wild. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands, and His commands are not a burden. Has you ever wondered that before? Man, they're just so burdensome. Well, the Bible says they're not. His commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. See, the problem that many of us face is that we love love, and we are trying to love others more than we love God. And here's where I need to contend with this. Without a love of God and an understanding of that love, we are incapable of loving others well. In other words, write this down, we love others best when we love God the most, but many of us have made love an idol we've put love before God. As if God doesn't do a good enough job at it, we need to, we need to, hey, hey God, you do your whole thing of like judgment and blowing up the earth and creating it and doing all that stuff, I got the love down, you leave this to me. Can I just say that's an idol? We love others best when we love God the most. Yeah, we, we say things like this, love wins. No, love doesn't win. Christ has already won. Yeah. Like, come on. Love doesn't win, Christ has, has already won. When we point people to us, like Josh Bingle said last week, we're pointing them away from the very thing that they need. And this is why love doesn't win, because God has already won, and love is a product that has been created by and on behalf of God. It's his, he owns it. You can't hijack it. Come on, somebody, it's his, he owns it. He owns the patent on it. He put it together, he's got copyright on it. A lot of copyright you can't hijack it, you can't mess with it. You can be like, ah, I'm gonna change something here and, and move this here and shift this here. You do not have the authority, you do not have the autonomy, you do not have the power, you do not have the glory to change all that. Love is God's product. He is the one who defines it. We can't mess with it, we can't shift it. All we can do is try to mirror it and by being loved well. So love has contours, different aspects. Okay, show of hands. How many of you love baking? Okay, lots of you. Okay, another question. How many of you love being the recipient of baking? Lesson here. Oh, you're the healthy type. Okay. So my wife, my wife bakes and now my middle daughter is baking. And so, she made a cake a few months back, a chocolate cake. It was unbelievable. And we were like, man, this is, and come on, parent, I'm gonna talk to the parents for the second room. You know when your kid does something that surprises you and you say it kind of out loud, you're like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> it was one of those moments. <laughs> and so she probably brings out the cake and it's so awesome, it's so good. And I was thinking about that cake the other day. <laughs> There's always an illustration in our house. There's contours to it. But a good recipe has a mixture of a lot of different essentials. Y'all with me? A lot of different essentials. You know, if you're gonna bake a cake, you go over and you put some unsweetened chocolate in there and some flour, some eggs, salt, baking soda, you mix it up, you throw it in the oven, you bring it out to somebody, have them taste it, they eat it, how many of you know They're not even going to say anything, just be like, oh, what is that? It's not cake. (sighs) Why? It's missing an essential ingredient. It's missing some sugar. Come on, thank the Lord for sugar. (laughs) Right? However, many of us wouldn't eat that. Just like, oh, Pat, you want some cake? No. I don't want your chocolate brick. But if I were to bake the same cake, a little flour, and then I were to throw just Hershey's sweet and chocolate in it, and then just, sugar! (laughs) (laughs) Vanilla! (laughs) Brown sugar! You just (laughs) bake that and hand it to you, and you taste it. You're gonna go, why? Because it's missing other essential ingredients. And here's what I found when it's, Missing the essential ingredient of sugar, it's got a bad taste. When it's missing the essential ingredient of flour and baking soda and salt, it's got a bad taste. Both of them create the same effect in a person. And here's what I'm concerned with, is that a lot of us, because we don't like the other ingredients of love, are just pouring sugar on everything. Just running around with sugary love. Right? It's just sugar, sugar, sugar. Just throwing sugar everywhere. Sh- sugar. Because we ourselves don't like any of the other essential ingredients to build a well-rounded recipe. And here's the deal. If it's all sugar, it's too sweet. And if it's all of the other stuff, it's too bitter. But when all the essential ingredients come together, It is a beautiful recipe that is enjoyable for the soul, and it changes us. It has contours, it has different elements and different essentials that are a part of it. So here's my encouragement to us today, is we've got to stop baking sugar cakes. (laughs) But don't swing the pendulum and give them a chocolate brick. Y'all with me? Because it's got contours. Last one, fifth point. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because it's postparent point, post parent point and it's the point I end with every single weekend around here. Love and truth point us to the author of both. Love and truth point us to the author of both. In John chapter 14, verses six through to seven, Jesus would say this. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him in Jesus' name. For some of us today, you've sat through 30-something minutes of love and truth. And my prayer is that as we get ready to bow our heads and close our eyes and pray a prayer, that it would be love and truth that points you not to a church and not to a person, but it points you to Jesus, the lover of your soul. And it's in him and with him and through him and by him. that your life is changed forever. Because the Bible tells us that who the Son sets free is free indeed in Jesus' mighty name. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right where you sit. No one looking around in this moment. I want you to consider where you're at today. Where are you at with Jesus? And we're gonna pray a prayer. There's nothing fancy in these words, but rather the heart from which these words come. And you may be saying today, man, I wanna know this Jesus. I wanna follow this Jesus. I wanna give my life to this Jesus. I wanna make him Lord and Savior of my life. Well, friend, this is this prayer is for you. And I wanna do it with you. All of us wanna do it together with you. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say some words and I'm gonna ask all of you to just repeat them as loud as you can after me. And for those of you today who'd be saying, man, I wanna say yes to Jesus. Make this your prayer. Come on, as loud as we possibly can. Everybody repeat this after me. Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. I'm turning from my ways, I'm receiving your grace, I'm receiving forgiveness, I'm letting go of sin, and I'm pushing into you. Save me in Jesus' name.